This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. No one knew how alone I was feeling And the emptiness I tried so hard to hide Though I laughed and said my life was fine without you I was covering up the secret tears I cried Then one day someone told me of your mercy And the love you showed on a hill called Calvary There you died and purchased my redemption When you broke sin's power and set my spirit free I'm amazed that you love me Through your precious life, I found pardon, and my sins are washed, they're all washed away, all my sins are washed It's true, true There have been days When I've failed you Lord, you know that many times I've gone astray But I've learned Your love is stronger Than my weakness And your ear is open Every time I pray No one else has ever cared for me like you, Lord. Other friends could never be as close to me. I'm not afraid to face the problems of tomorrow. Knowing you are everything I'll ever need. I'm amazed. You love me. I'm amazed how you care. Through your precious blood, I found pardon, and my sins are washed. They're all washed away. All my sins are washed away. I found pardon, 
sins are washed. There all washed away. All my sins are washed away. I'm amazed that you love me. I'm so amazed how you care through your precious blood. I found pardon. Our sins are washed away. Isn't that amazing news? And I'm also amazed that God loves me. And I'm also amazed that you love me. And just tagging on to what Jim said, it is such an honor to be able to serve here. And you folks are amazing people. Thank you for the privilege. If you would open your Bibles, please, to the New Testament book of Luke, chapter 9. And we'll be looking at a couple of verses there to kind of lay the foundation for our thoughts in just a moment. But while you're finding that, one of the things that organizations have done in recent years to market their product is to try to create slogans that immediately associate people with their product. See if you can guess the businesses that have the following slogans. Melts in your mouth, not in your hand. M&Ms. It keeps going and going and going, and that's not the pastor. What is it? Energizer. You're in good hands with... I'm loving it. McDonald's. And, and really, we could go on and on, and like a good neighbor... Uh, save money, live better. Walmart. It's everywhere you want to be. Visa, early service didn't know it. I guess they were too sleepy, but Visa. Now, remembering what we've just talked about, what would you identify as the slogan for Christianity? Now, now of course, there isn't any, but if we were to come up with a slogan, is there a catchy phrase that we could use as our slogan? And I know there are some that would probably choose this phrase, something good is about to happen. Um... Or maybe we could borrow from McDonald's, I'm loving it. Or how about Allstate slogan, you're in good hands, might work. Uh, how about retirement out of this world? Oh, what a wonderful life. Or how about this one, it don't get better than this. Would that work? Well, as we think of a possible slogan for Christianity, we, we don't have to come up with it. Because Jesus pretty much gave it to us. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and, and, and I think you're going to be surprised at the slogan because it's not something good is about to happen. It's not even close to any of those that we mentioned. 
Let's read and see what Jesus says about this. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. Let's pray again. Lord, since about Wednesday, you've really given me just a deep burden for this thought. And I pray, God, that you would help me not to be a distraction, but that I would just present your word and, again, hide me behind the cross. Let Jesus Christ be front and center. I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, if we sort through these verses here, I think a fairly accurate slogan for followers of Jesus Christ would be this. Come and die. Yeah. Not, not, not come and dine, but come and die. Frankly, not the type of slogan that's very attractive to people. I mean, face it, we, we don't even like to talk about death. We don't like to think about death. When someone dies, we say, well, they passed away or they've gone on. They're no longer with us. Or when we had a close call with death, we, we say, well, we just about kicked the bucket. Or we were just about pushing up daisies or swimming with the fish. Or we were just about six feet under. You know, there's something about that word die. We just do not like it. And even though we all understand that death for the follower of God means eternal bliss in heaven. Yet for some reason, in obituaries, at funerals, you will mainly hear the preacher say, well, they went to be with Jesus, and, and they did. Or they passed away from this life, or they're singing in the heavenly choir. We don't like to say, he died. She died. But Jesus doesn't sugarcoat things. You don't find Jesus being politically correct. And, and he certainly doesn't distort Christianity by saying things like, well, something good is about to happen, or it's going to be a wonderful life, or, or if you follow Christ, uh, you can just name it and claim it, or, or blab it and grab it. Or you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise if you'll just give your heart to Jesus. No, Christ says it like it is. If you want to be my follower, come follow me, but be prepared to die. Okay, now that uh, we've kind of established the slogan that Christ gave us for Christianity, what about our logo? Surely there's a logo that would be a little bit more uplifting. <laughs> Think about it. What's the symbol or logo that Christianity identifies with most? The cross. You know, church after church uses a cross as part of their logo. And in fact, our logo here at the church has a cross in it. And when you think of the cross, it's just as morbid as the slogan. Because originally the cross was an instrument of death and torture. So it seems like there are other options that Christianity could have gone with. Why, why not a dove? I mean, a dove represents peace. Or how about a shepherd's staff? You know, it's a symbol of protection. Or... Here's what gets me. Why didn't Christianity trademark the rainbow before the LGBT movement did? 
I mean, the rainbow represents hope and promise. Or, or, or maybe Christianity should have for its logo a beautiful sunrise signifying the dawn of a new day. Or, or even an ark representing the fact that we're saved from judgment. There are a lot of options that, that would have had a lot more appeal to potential followers rather than two bloody beams nailed together that represents perhaps the most brutal means of execution ever devised. Let's talk about the cross this morning. The cross, first of all, was a symbol of humiliation. Now, in the ancient world, the Romans, they had a number of ways to carry out an execution. They, they knew how to execute people rather cheaply. You know, some people would be executed by a fire and, and they would tie them to the stake and, and just build a bonfire around them. That was a pretty inexpensive way to execute people. Others were executed by stoning. And, and, and if you've ever been to Israel, you find that there's a lot of rocky terrain. So that was pretty cheap too. Um, still others would be killed with the stroke of a sword and, and, and would be beheaded. That didn't cost much. So sometimes they might simply give a, a person a drink of poisonous hemlock. And that didn't cost much. So why? Why did the Romans at times use crucifixion? I mean, that was a much more expensive way to execute a person. The reason, because they had to have a minimum of four soldiers and a centurion to oversee the whole process. And, and so it involved preparation, it involved oversight, and five salaries. So why did the Romans at times use crucifixion? Well, the answer is that they would generally use this means of execution when they wanted to publicly humiliate the person being crucified. And what they would do is pretty much strip off the outer clothing and sometimes just leave the inner clothing. And of course, that was done in a public place, so that was very humiliating, being stripped down. But then they would typically crucify people along a busy road, and so there would be hundreds and, and even thousands of passers-by that would see them and and, and while they were dying, because of the pain, you know, the, the victim couldn't get a full breath. And you know how it is when maybe you get sucker punched and, and knocks the wind out of you. You kind of panic when you can't get your, your air. And, and so there they are on the cross, standing on their tippy toes and trying to get some air, panicking and screaming. And, and there are people passing by. It was a terrible death. Dying by crucifixion meant humiliation. But secondly, the cross was a symbol of suffering. You know, before the actual crucifixion, you've heard this taught before, but it was common for Romans to, to beat or whip the victim. And, and when they would strip them of their clothes, they would tie their hands, arms around a big post that would stretch their back. And, and they would be stripped on the back and they would take a whip that had pieces of bone or, or, or metal or stone tied to the end and, and, and they would scourge them, they would whip them and... And as the book of Isaiah says about Jesus Christ, that he was beyond recognition. And so sometimes after that beating, that initial beating, before they were even crucified, they would come out of there so bloody that they couldn't even be recognized. And then after that beating, they would, they would put the patibulum of the cross, or in other words, the, the, the horizontal beam that, that, that weighed around 125 pounds, and they would put that on the person's back. And, and they would be forced to carry that to the place where they were crucified. And because of the beating, many times, the vertebra was exposed. And so that cross 
touched the sensitive nerves and it was just excruciating. It's no wonder Jesus... It's no wonder Jesus had a difficult time carrying the cross as he stumbled up the narrow road of the Via Dolorosa or, or the way of suffering. And so let me just say this. You can't carry a cross without suffering. You can't carry the cross of Christ without suffering. And since Christ, since Christ said that, that we are to pick up our cross and, and follow Him, that means that you can't be a follower of Jesus Christ without suffering. And I know there's some junk theology floating out there, even in this community, that points to problems in your life as evidence that you must not be following Jesus. And, and they say, well, if you're not being healed of your diseases, it's because you don't have enough faith. Or if you're going through trials in life, that means you must have sin in your life. That, my friends, mark it down, is junk theology. It's not biblical theology. Yes, there are consequences of your sin, but the biblical reality is that when people say yes to following Jesus, they're agreeing to carry the cross. And carrying that cross will be painful at times. Second Timothy says in chapter 3, verse 12, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will, it doesn't say may, it doesn't say might, it says will suffer persecution. And so here's the question that I've pondering, been pondering the last half of the week. If there's no suffering, if there's no sacrifice in my life, am I really carrying the cross? Because again, the Bible says everyone who wants to live a godly life will suffer persecution. Not just those in Afghanistan, not just those in, in, in other Middle Eastern countries, but everyone, including those who live in the United States of America. Now let me take the questions that I've been asking myself this week. You know, misery loves company, so I'm inviting you into my misery. But I want to ask these questions and direct them to you. When is the last time that following Jesus cost you something? When is the last time that following Christ cost you a relationship? When is the last time following Jesus cost you a promotion? When is the last time that following Jesus cost you a vacation? When's the last time you were mocked for your faith? You know, forget about having our lives threatened because we're Christians here in America. That doesn't happen. It may happen soon. But when is the last time you actually went without a meal for the sake of the gospel? Can, can you say, can I say that we're carrying the cross if it hasn't cost us anything? Thirdly, the cross was a symbol of death. Anyone who was put on the cross always ended up dying. Some took longer than others, but it was a 100% death rate. And it was not always just one or two or three people. History tells us, tradition tells us that there were times when, when a group of Jewish rebels would rise up and lead a revolt against the Roman oppression. And, and, and Romans, the Romans would crucify all of those involved in the rebellion. And, and, and tradition says that sometimes there were as many as 2,000 people that were crucified at the same time along a busy thoroughfare. 
course, Roman rule has ended. But I hope you're aware that there have been thousands and hundreds of thousands, probably millions. Maybe they weren't necessarily crucified, but they still gave up their lives simply because they were followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, many of Christ's disciples, according to history and tradition, ended up dying as martyrs. Tradition says that Matthew was killed by a sword in Ethiopia. Mark died in Alexandria, Egypt, after being dragged by horses through the streets upside down. Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India during a missionary trip. Jude, the brother of Jesus, was killed with arrows when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. Don't ever forget that the cross was a symbol of humiliation, suffering, and death. But here's where all of this ties into us, and I pray that God will drive this truth, truth deep into our hearts. Contrast the cruel cross of 2,000 years ago to the cross of today. You know, we've taken that cross that was a symbol of humiliation, suffering, and death, and, and we found a way to make it comfortable. You know, we've turned the cross into ornaments, pieces of jewelry. We wear it around our necks. We, we engrave it on our keychains. We, we put it in our church logos. We, we put it in, in, in the faces of watches. There was a time when we were selling watches with a cross on it in, in our bookstore. We couldn't stay stocked. People were buying them right and left. We even tattoo the cross on our bodies. I've seen them on race cars. Crosses come in all shapes and sizes. And during my ministry, uh, you know, for some reason when people think they want to give the pastor something, they either give him chocolate or a cross. And uh, I've probably had dozens and dozens of crosses given to me over the years. And some of them they'd built out of wood. Some of them they bought. Some of them, you know, they put together with crafts and all kinds of stuff. But what has happened over the years is that that cruel, that humiliating cross has been changed into a comfortable cross that doesn't cause any suffering. In fact, bearing our cross today has a totally different connotation. In fact, when we use the phrase, well, I guess that's just my cross that I have to bear. Most of the time we're describing a minor inconvenience. For example, we can't afford maybe a newer vehicle, and so we drive our six-year-old vehicle and say, well, this is just a cross I have to bear right now. Or we put up with someone at work who is really annoying, and we say, well, being around them is the cross I have to bear. I wonder what God thinks. When he hears us making references to bearing the cross, when all it is is just putting up with a few minor inconveniences. I wonder what he thinks. You know, we've become comfort seekers instead of cross bearers. In fact, our love for comfort has even spread to the church. You know, in church we want everything just right. Temperature just right. If, if, if it isn't, do we ever hear about it? And people in this century, it seems like we have a 
a comfort zone when it comes to temperature about a degree and a half. When it gets beyond that, pardon me, but all hell breaks loose. And, you know, we want our chairs to be super comfortable. And I was preparing for this lesson this past week. I, I got to chuckling in my office because I remember the process when, when we were choosing these chairs. You know, when we just built, building our new building, we've got to have chairs. And so we decided to go with chairs instead of pews. And so uh, there are a lot of companies that make chairs, manufacture chairs, and they'll, they'll give you a free one as a sample. And so I remember, and this was in our old annex where the kids' church is now, but we got about eight or ten of these chairs, free chairs, and so I put a number behind it. And, and so we brought in about 35 different people of all ages and shapes and sizes, tall and short and deep and wide and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we wanted to make sure that we uh, catered to every anatomy and all that stuff. But, and so about 35 people, they started choosing. They'd sit down and then they'd vote on the number. <clears throat> and, um, and a miracle took place. A miracle about the size of the resurrection. I'm serious. Uh, as those 35 people went through choosing the chairs, voting on the chairs, would you believe that about 80% of them agreed on the same chair? Now, when church people agree, you know that God is in it. Because <laughs> that's so rare. And, and uh, it was this chair, that, these chairs that you're sitting in, and, and would you believe that they were the most expensive chairs out of all 10 of them, the most expensive? You guys, you guys have class. Uh, but, but anyway, you know, we put a premium on comfort and, and we want comfortable shoes, we want comfortable beds, we want comfortable furniture, we want comfortable this, that, comfortable that. And there's nothing wrong with comfort. You know, Jesus never condemned comfort. Understand that. There's no glory in suffering just for suffering's sake. But here's what's happened. As we've... Uh, continued to put more and more of an emphasis on being comfortable, our, our faith has followed suit. We've developed a comfortable cross that has led to a comfortable Christianity. And, and as we do this, if we're not careful, it's not just the pews, that the pews are padded, but the message has become padded with comfortable teaching. And, and the doctrine becomes comfortable and eventually the message of Jesus Christ just becomes mush. Everything goes. Nothing's bad. Everything's good. It's all good as the saying is. And Christianity, if we're not careful, becomes a good moral code to help us become better citizens. And you know, we want more people, don't we, to come to Christ. And so what do we do? We try our best to make Christianity sound as appealing as possible. And, and so our sermons get sanitized and, and they talk about salvation, but never surrender. They talk about forgiveness, but never repentance. We talk about living, but never dying. And instead of the uncompromised and unfiltered truths from God's word, uh, people are given a neutered and more palatable version. And, and what happens when we do that? When we preach mush... We rob the gospel of its power. Back a few uh, years ago, um, there was a story in the news of a pharmacist named Robert Courtney. And Kevin, Brandy, you might remember this. But it, it was interesting that uh, someone after the early service said, I remember that incident. In fact, there was, I think they had a relative that went to, to Courtney's church. But 
Anyway, he was convicted of diluting the medication of cancer patients in order to make a profit. And he did this for nine years and say so diluted an estimated 98,000 prescriptions of medication affecting some 4,200 patients. And, and at least 17 patients died after receiving diluted formulation of chemotherapy. And, and uh, it, was, it, it, it was interesting that... Uh, uh, at least supposedly made uh, 19 million dollars off of off of this fraud and, and he was sentenced rightly so to 30 years in prison but here, here's what i, I want to make this comparison that's a picture of what's happening in the church today we're diluting stuff do you realize that jesus didn't come to this earth to make you a better citizen In fact, I, I have a feeling that Jesus would say, you don't need to be a better citizen in America right now. Jesus did not come to this earth to, so, so that you would be better behaved or to tweak your personality or to fine-tune your manners or to smooth out your rough spots. Remember, the slogan is come and die and the symbol is the cross. And without being too morbid here, but I've been around my, my share of dead people, nothing like Mike, but, you know, I've tragically been around dead people when they were laying on the highway after being thrown out of a car. I've been there when they were pulled from the water. I've been with them on the mountain after a fatal fall. I've been with them as when they ended their life through an overdose or other means. And I've sat with many families. I've watched them. I even watched my own mom. She took her last breath, and, and I've stood next to many open caskets and as friends and family walked by with tears to say goodbye. And I don't mean to be insensitive here, please forgive me, but I, I've noticed something about dead people. <laughs> dead people don't seem to care very much about what other people think of them. That they're not concerned about how nice their clothes are. They're not caught up in how much money is in their account. Dead people aren't at all thinking about getting the promotion. In fact, you know what I've noticed? Dead people aren't concerned about how nice or comfortable their casket is. I've never heard them complain. Death is the ultimate surrender of yourself and all that you have. And it's the same way when we surrender ourselves to God. We become less concerned about what other people think. So what? We become less concerned about comfort and, and less concerned about wearing the cross and become more concerned about bearing the cross. Let me give uh, just a couple of observations about death. I'll try to hurry here. When Jesus called us to follow him, he said, take up your cross. And that the word take indicates that dying is a choice we make. That's not typically how we think of death. You know, we think uh, of death as an intruder that, and it happens against our will. But for the follower of Jesus Christ, that spiritual death, the cross is not forced upon us. It, it, it is voluntarily taken up. In John chapter 10, verse 17, it says, The Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may have it back again. And we may not all have the privilege of being a martyr. You may be surprised that I said privilege, but wouldn't that be an amazing privilege? To die, suffer for our Lord who gave his all for us. So we may not have that privilege, but, but there must always be a death. 
We must always die to our own desires. We must die to our plans and to our wishes. We must be able to say with honesty, not our will, but thine be done. Thine is a choice we make. There's one more observation I want to make. We're to take up our cross daily. You know, dying to ourselves is not just a one-time decision. It is a daily decision. And, and I was reading a book one time, and, and, and they described it with a $100 bill. You know, many people think that dying to ourselves just invo- involves the one big moment when we hand over the $100 bill to God. Say, it's yours. And, and I don't want to take away from that moment. Salvation is the most important moment of your life. To find Christ and be saved, we must give everything to Him. But then picture in your mind that God says, thank you very much. This hundred dollars is mine. But now I'm going to give it back to you in pennies. And I want you to give me one penny each day. So following Christ and following Christ, there's that initial moment of complete surrender. But then there is that bearing of the cross on a daily basis. What does that look like? Well, maybe it means that the next time you're talking with your neighbor, instead of playing it safe and keeping it comfortable, maybe you bring Jesus into the conversation. Maybe you've been waiting for that perfect time and it just never comes. But now you say, I'm going to share Christ. It may mean that instead of buying that new set of furniture or upgrading your house decor that you put that money towards a missionary that's running low on funds. Dying to yourself may mean changing your vacation plans and instead of taking your kids to Disney World next year, you take them on a missions trip. Instead of going on a cruise that will be fun but cost you a couple thou, you put that money to a missions trip to Ghana or Papua New Guinea. Or, or how about this? As some people in our congregation have done and are doing. Dying to yourself may mean walking by that empty room in your house and asking God. If there's an orphan child in another country or a foster child that should be sleeping in that bed. Dying daily may mean that you come to church a little bit early on Wednesday evenings to help feed the kids. And are they wild? You betcha. But you have a chance to show the love of Christ to some kids that may not see much of Jesus at home. Maybe dying daily means that you'll give a donation to help feed those kids. Dying daily may mean that you give up a meal now and then. We call that fasting. To just focus on God. I don't know what carrying your cross will mean for you. But it probably won't be always easy and comfortable and pleasant. As we wrap things up, uh, I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. And, and this is the whole mystery of the cross. Paul talks about it talks about how the world sees the cross. And you're going to have to really track with me. You're going to miss this part. This is so crucial. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
Now, I, I want to emphasize that for those living in the first century, the cross was the ultimate symbol of humiliation. And, and frankly, if a first century Jew would come to this church today and and see all the ornamental crosses that we're wearing, it would be so repulsive to them. They would say, what? That's an instrument of death. That would be like carrying around an electric chair or a guillotine or something like that. They would think that we were sick. To them, the cross was a horrible thing. But really, that's what makes the cross so beautiful. God takes what from a human perspective seems so awful and and even as the Bible says foolish and and he chooses the least likely symbol for life and turns it into the power of salvation. And who else but God could take a cross that represented defeat and turn it into a symbol of victory? And who else but God could take a cross that represented guilt and turn it into the symbol for grace? Who else but God could take a cross that that represented condemnation and turn it into a symbol of freedom? Who else but God could take a cross that represented pain and suffering and turn it into a symbol of healing and hope? Who else but God could take a cross that represented death and turn it into a symbol of life? And what seemed like the ultimate moment of God's weakness was in reality the ultimate moment of God's strength. And here's why this matters. And this is really the only thing you need to get from this message this morning. What God did for the cross, taking something ugly and humiliating and turning it into something beautiful, He can also do for you. You know, it's not that God used the cross in spite of its weakness. He chose the cross because of its weakness. And throughout Scripture, God continually... Would choose the weak over the strong. Here are some examples of that. See if you can relate to any of these. Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Samson was proud. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was disobedient. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist was weird. Some of you can relate. (laughs) Peter was impulsive and hot-tempered. Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Zacchaeus wasn't liked. Thomas had doubts. Paul had poor health. Timothy was timid. And as we study the Bible, we see that it's a long list of imperfect misfits who discovered that weakness is strength. And so when we let go of our need to control things and 
manipulate things. And when we let go of our need to accomplish so much in, our, in life and, and our need to have our co-workers approval or our need to be comfortable and pampered and, and our need to be the very best, when we let go of that, it's then that God does in our lives what He did for the cross. He takes followers who are hanging by a thread and He bolsters their spirits. He takes followers who are at their weakest moment and, and makes them strong. He takes followers who are all but defeated and He turns their testimonies into life-giving messages of truth and hope. That's the power of the cross, ladies and gentlemen. That's the power of the cross. And it comes... To old people, depressed people, messed up people, weird people. And the cross. You know what the cross does? It makes us one in Jesus. So this morning, I, I pray that the cross would not be comfortable for us. I'm not asking God for suffering. No, I'm not. But let's understand the cross. Let's understand how cruel the cross was 2,000 years ago. And as we see the cross, as we see our cross and, and the necklaces, whatever you have, understand the beauty of the cross. And the beauty comes because Christ gave his all there. Let's not ever allow it to be comfortable. And that also means that whatever you're carrying, the cross is enough. The cross is enough. Would you bow your heads, please, as we pray? Lord Jesus, I want to just thank you for the cross. Forgive us for those times that we've tried to make it so comfortable and we've really forgotten the true meaning. Lord, I, I ask forgiveness for the times that I had so flippantly said, well, I guess that's a cross I just have to bear when it's just a minor inconvenience. Father, I pray that you would help us to uh, not just wear the cross, but help us to bear the cross. Lord, I pray that uh, we would be so completely aware. You know, the cross is foolishness to those that don't know you, but it's beautiful and it's the means of salvation to those of us to, that go to it. And Lord, I pray that this week that we would walk worthy. Lord, I pray that this week we would... Uh, make sure that we are bearing it in the proper way. Lord, that there would not be attitudes, that there would not be language, there would not be gossip, that there would not be legalism, that there would not be arrogance. Because Lord, when it really comes down to it, we have no right to be. We have nothing of ourselves. And Father, as we leave this place, I pray God that we would daily carry our cross, looking to Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, and that you would help us to be faithful to him. Father, for what you do for us. 
We will thank you and praise you for ask it in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Thank you for coming. Have a great week. And uh, remember, we are going to be meeting up on the hill this evening, 6 o'clock. See you then. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.